out from behind the cage. Awkward transition, sorry. Thank you everybody that came today. Thank you for dealing with the cold to come here about God. And I just really want you all to know how much I care and love for you before we talk about kind of a subject that's not a lot of fun to talk about. But we're talking about vital signs in the health of our church, and I really feel like it's necessary that we do talk about idolatry. We talk about it, what, what it means to us as opposed to what it's meant in the past. And, and so um, I happen to be an expert in the field of idolatry. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but I've had so many in my life. I feel like I can speak to this comfortably, and I get to confess so many different things about my past. That, that this is something I just know um, because it's been a part of my life for so long. So um, we all have idols other than God. It's a fact. Um, I'm going to spend the rest of this time trying to prove that to you. And I want you to realize just how much we all have all the work that we still have to do. Um, if your heart tells you that you don't have idols, your idol might be self-preservation. You may have something in your heart that's, that's telling you, I need to protect myself. So that's a possibility. But the thing is, the rest of us can, can see that, right? It's easier sometimes for other people to see what your idols are than it is sometimes for ourselves to recognize what they are. So um, that's why I wanted to talk about this. Um, so just... As an act of faith, I just want to ask you if you are willing to admit that you have idols. You don't have to raise your hand if you're brave enough to do so great. Um, but let's take some time. First of all, I want to just define what it is. And so I looked in a couple of Bible dictionaries and found a couple of definitions. And then we're going to go into finding out what the Bible defines idolatry as. So... Zondervan Bible Dictionary says, Worship of idols, though in a derived sense, can refer to blind or excessive devotion to something or someone. I'll say that again. Blind or excessive devotion to something or someone. So it can be a thing, and it can be a person, according to this dictionary. Walter A. Elwell's Evangelical Dictionary of Theology states this about idols. The New Testament writers use the concept of idolatry in a metaphorical sense, particularly with respect to covetousness. Covetousness is an idol by virtue of becoming the immediate focus of a person's desire and worship, which displaces the worship of God. So covetousness is idolatry by virtue of of becoming a worshipful focus by dis displacing the rightful place of God. What does the Bible say it is? I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Romans 1, verses 21 through 25. And I won't continue until you do. So open your Bibles. All right, Romans 1, verses 21 through 25. 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor God as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore they gave them over to their therefore God gave them over their lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So here's the point. Here's the main point. The definition of idolatry, I'm going to break it down to, is the exchanging of truth of God for a lie. Romans 1 verse 25. This is what we do when we sin, really. We justify our sin. We break it down. We tell ourselves it's okay to sin and replace that sin as a part of our heart where God is supposed to reside. It's what we do. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. We can make an idol out of anything. Whatever you want, you can idolize. And we all do it. We just need to recognize it so that we can work on that change. The second point I have is, historically man can... And does worship other men in the form of idolatrous coveting. So, if, if things don't go right in our lives, and things are really bad, it's human nature to look at other people's lives and start comparing what's going on in theirs to what's going on in ours. Right? Why, why does he get to have the fancy house, and why does he get to have the fancy car and all of the money and all of the success while I'm over here suffering. I had a conversation with Brian probably eight months to a year ago when I was going through all the stuff with my family in the last couple of years. And I told Brian, and look, this is wrong. I told Brian, I said, Brian, I don't like my family. I wish I was never born in this family. I don't like it. My family sucks. I wish I was born into a different family. That was my perspective. I wanted what, what you guys had, or they had, or somebody else had. I didn't want what I had. I didn't want what God gave me. That's covetousness. That's a desire for something other than what God gave me. Listen again. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Um, So Adam and Eve in the garden exchanged the truth for a lie. They had an opportunity. Satan came to them and told them this story about how they can have knowledge and power if they just eat the fruit. They had a perfect world. What more could they want other than perfection? They had perfection. They could hear God's footsteps in the garden. And yet, they still wanted more. They wanted to be like God. 
neither you nor I are better than Adam and Eve. We would have screwed it up. We would have messed it up the same way they did. You and I exchange God's truth for anything that creates in us a desire greater than our desire to know him. It really is that simple. If there's anything in our life that is more important than our desire to know him, we have idolatry in our heart. I remember when I was younger and mom and dad were getting ready to get a divorce. It was right there. You knew it was going to happen, right? Mom and dad screaming and yelling in the bedroom and, and um, you just knew it was going to happen. And so I just went to the closest church I could find, Susquehanna Baptist Church. Somebody invited me there and I went to that church and I, and I dove into it so deep and so hard. I was all in. I was bought and sold all in. Felt the conviction of my sin so heavy and so hard. And I was all in. I gave all I thought to God, right? I took this big hole that I had for mom and dad fighting and hating on each other. And I filled it with God. At least I thought I did. I felt like I filled it up. And there was this, um, there was a youth pastor there. His name is Phil Willoughby. I still highly respect and love Phil for what he did for me um, during that time. This is a guy that has his doctorate in religion. He is an attorney. He was on the House of Representatives in Missouri, may still be. And he also is aspiring to become a judge if he hasn't already done that. He raised two children and a wife. And, and he's just like Superman, you know. He just is able to maintain all of these things and juggle all of these things. Well, he became very important to me. I needed a substitute for dad. I needed a substitute. So I, I latched on to him and I held on to him really tight and became really close with him. And he helped me through those times. Um, I also latched on to the church. The building itself kind of became a sanctuary for me. I could feel peace there. I could feel love there. And the people, the congregants, they all... They all filled this, this hole that I had. But the problem was Phil left the church. And when Phil left the church, my heart was destroyed. I had taken Phil and put Phil in a role that was not Phil's role. Phil was not my God. I had replaced the hole in my heart that was supposed to be there for God with Phil and the church and the building. And I had, idolat I had idolatry in my heart over a man that I thought could, could fill a role for me. It was wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't godly and it didn't work. So I left the church. I started using drugs and drinking. And you guys know all that story. You've heard it a million times. So I won't go there. But because of that, I had to realize at a later time, and I even discussed this with Brian, that, that I had a problem. I had a problem looking to man and trying to find Jesus in a man. And it, you can see parts of Jesus in a man, but a man is never Christ. And a man can never fill the role of your own Lord. Because we're all failing and we're all broken. I wanted a better life. I wanted 
something different than what I had. Um, God is drawing you near. He's drawing all of us near. But Satan is also drawing all of us near. And we have to learn discernment to decide when the goodness of man starts to overtake in your heart what really is the goodness of Christ. You have to be able to see the difference, the distinct difference is there. Paul Washer says this, if you want to follow Jesus because he will give you a better life, that's idolatry. Follow Christ for the sake of Christ. He is worthy. He is completely worthy. No one, nothing else is worthy of our praise. He deserves all of our heart. Every dark corner of our heart belongs to him. I don't know why, but while I was thinking about this, I started kind of looking at the Ten Commandments. and, And so three of the ten have direct correlations to idolatry. So at least a third of the law is based on idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, we know there are no other gods. So because there are no other gods, he's, he's talking about images of God and whatnot. Thou shalt not have any graven images. Idolatry. Thou shalt not covet. Idolatry. And if you want to take it a little further, you can even look at 7 and 8, committing adultery or stealing might be rooted in coveting or idolatry of somebody else's things. It's a possibility. So, Brian read earlier, and I would like you to open your Bibles to that 2 Kings 18, verses 1 through 4. Because I wanted an Old Testament reference as well. Well, it's not my strength. I still think I should learn it, right? You know? Now, it came about in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the son of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Neheshtan. So what is this talking about? So... God had killed off many of the, the Israelites in the wandering, right? He'd killed, they, they just had died off. And they begin to journey back towards the promised land. And this new generation that had grown up during that time period what, was ready to cross over into the promised land. Um, but the problem is they started complaining. Before they even reached the promised land, they started complaining to God and to Moses. And during this complaining, God sent down fiery serpents. We don't have that. 
I mean, I mean, he doesn't send down fiery serpents in our church. Thank you, Jesus. And we don't have to deal with fiery serpents. But that's what he did to them. He sent down fiery serpents. And so God told Moses to go um, create this staff with a fiery serpent on it. And he said, if any of them are bitten, the younger people, if the younger people are bitten with, uh, by these fiery serpents, to have them gaze upon this staff. And, and that is like an antidote for them, right? So, so that you understand the point of what this is about. I wanted to tell you that little bit of historical background. Now let's go back to 2 Kings and read it again with under, so we understand what it's about. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it. They had taken something that saved them and they had idolized it. And they had started worshiping it, really. They had burning incense to it. And they, they thought it had certain powers and certain things. What, what do you think would happen if Hezekiah had not uh, destroyed the bronze staff with a serpent on it. Do you think they would still be worshiping it today? I mean, I got I to gotta say, yeah, it would be worse probably. It would probably be worse today. Man, we've got people that are worshiping a piece of toast that looks like Jesus. So if we can go that far crazy with it, it only makes sense that sometimes even the relics, the most important things about our history, have to be destroyed. Why? Because they become our focus. They become a lie. It's those things that we're hanging on to so hard, just crushing under the pressure, trying to create diamonds in our hands. He doesn't want us to have that. The Israelites are still going to the wall. And they're praying at the wall. Why, why are they praying at the wall? But stay home. Pray at your house. What are these things? These things we, we love so much. We cherish so much. What are we metaphorically burning incense to? I'm asking you, our church, what are we burning incense to? What is it that's in our past that we're hanging on to, that we are grasping so hard to, that we cannot let go of, because that's the way we've always done it, or that's the way we want to do it? What does God want? What does he want? What is his will? Point number three is this. Church history... Church, things inside the church, people in our church, ideas of church potentials can become idols. All of those things. Destination idolatry. What could we be? Can become an idol. The potential can become an idol to us. 
We've got to be careful. Do you guys feel closer to God at church than you do at home? Ask yourself why if the answer is yes. I know we've got a church of great believers, and that's got to do something to help us feel good inside. That's, that's a part of worshiping together. That's all good. But if we can't have that same feeling when we are away from this building, then we have a problem. Do you feel like your prayers are stronger or answered better when you're at church? Because if the answer is yes, there may be a problem. Do you pray at home? Do you pray without ceasing? What are you praying for? Me, 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 me. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Are we praying that way? Are we praying our will be done? Are we praying his will be done? Because it's about him. It is not about you or I. It is about him. Idols come in many forms. And the devil is crafty. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take your favorite fruit and he's going to place it right in front of you and he's going to tell you how delicious it tastes. Come and get it. Come and take it. And we want it so bad. It's so easy to just lick the outside, right? And then we've got a taste for it. And now we've got to take a bite. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding on to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Look, we individually have idols. We collectively as a church have idols. We must admit it. We must recognize it. And we must move past it and through it. It's a reality. Do you guys um, remember Jeff Foxworthy? Where's my slide? Um, it doesn't really work because it's not really a funny topic. So it doesn't really work. But I'm going to use his canter and I'm going to use his technique to try to drive home a point. You may have idols if. If you covet, desire, or obsess over someone or something other than God, 
you may have an idol. If you seek security through advice of a human only, you may have an idol. If you worry too much about something or someone, you may have an idol. If you think more about a person, place, or thing than you do God, you may have an idol. If you think more about an end result than God, you may have an idol. For example, a paycheck, a new house, a new job, a vacation, a hobby. Our focus has to be on the giver and not the gift. If you get angry when you don't get what you want, you may have an idol. If you have neglected loved ones for your own personal desires, you may have an idol. If you think you are smarter or are better than anybody on anything, you may be your own idol. If you take credit for any of your gifts, talents, or prosperities, you may be your own idol. If you only talk to or worship God while at church, your church may be your idol. If the thought of selling your church and moving it somewhere else makes you sick to your stomach and fills you with sadness, your church building might be your idol. If losing your pew, your position, the praise from others causes you sadness, you may have idol issues. How many of you have idols? Thank you. Jesus, for honesty. John Piper says it this way. We make a God out of whatever we find most joy in. So find joy in God and be done with idolatry. Um, being an addict in recovery... I've had to face so many idols. I spent years fighting those demons. You guys kind of know the story and working on my sin. And I'm still a work in progress. And I'll probably never get there because why? I will never be perfect this side of the kingdom. As a church, guys, we've got to acknowledge that each of us have a problem. We have to work on it. We have to work together on it. If control of anything or anyone has entered your heart, we've got to place it at the foot of the cross where it belongs. That control is not yours. You don't own the church. You don't own another human being. You don't own your home. You don't own anything. It all, all of it belongs to God. And you are a steward of whatever you have while you have it temporarily on this planet and you will be judged on how you handle those things that you have give it back to the rightful owner to Jesus Christ himself he is the only rightful owner everything belongs to God even your ideas as smart as you think you are your ideas don't come from you they come from him 
They're his ideas. He's given to you. First John 5.21 reads this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. May God crush in us those gods we've created in our hearts and minds. May God crush in us everything that doesn't belong in our heart. I pray that he restores each and every one of us. I pray that he restores not only this church, but every church in America. It is his to rebuild. It is his to build. It is his will, not our will. I'm going to have Brian come forward as we play this last song. And if anything's on your heart and you want to talk to somebody, he's the guy to talk to.